A few weeks ago, uh, I started my sermon with, I, w- I was talking negatively about a certain yogurt bar in Wausau. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> Any of you been there because you heard me talk about it? <laughs> Check it out. Well, I was on a date with my wife uh, on Friday, and she wanted to go back to that place. And because I'm a good husband, I took her, okay? Uh, I picked the movie, she picked dessert. So uh, that's how we worked it out. And uh, so we go back to that yogurt bar, and I walk in, and I'm like, I'm just like, I told her, I said, I'm probably not going to get anything. I don't want to waste some money on something I'm not going to really enjoy. So um, that's guilt, isn't it? That's bad. And so I walk in, and, and I'm looking at all the different yogurt flavors, and lo and behold, they have apple pie yogurt. Apple, I mean, that's like my weakness, all right? You know, it's like study the Bible or put an apple piece of apple pie in front of me. I'm going for the pie, you know? It, it's like bad. And so uh, and so I, I'm looking at this, and so I take a sample, because certainly it can't taste as good as what it looks like. So I sampled it, and it was good. And so I filled, I filled my, my bowl up with this apple pie yogurt, and, uh, and Christy takes a look at it and says, you need more than that. You know, so I went back and I put more in. And then I, I'm standing in line uh, to pay for it, to have it weighed, which now it's really big. And uh, i got to get this thing weighed, and i got to pay for it by the ounce now. And, and I'm standing in line, and suddenly I see that they have graham cracker crumbles to put on top. And so I'm, I'm heaping this stuff on, you know, and, and now it's perfect until I saw the caramel, okay? So now I'm putting caramel on it, and, and it's just amazing. And so, and so I, I checked out with that. And uh, I paid way too much money for it, and I, and I ate it, and it was good. It was very good. And so I got to say, I got to take it back. Chrissy said, you got to take it back, because you said all those things in church, and uh, <clears throat> it was all wrong. It was all wrong. So um, <clears throat> all that to say, I never tell a story without a reason, so there you go, Christy. Um, sometimes people change, and, and sometimes things that we're so sure about Look a little differently at a different time in our lives. It took me a month. Uh, but for some of us, it takes even longer to change. I want to talk this morning, I want to start this morning <clears throat> going briefly over different views of the rapture. Different views of the rapture. Um, so before we go to Revelation, <clears throat> if you have notes in your, uh, in your bulletin, you could pull those out now. And uh, hopefully my voice holds out. I don't know if it's from soccer yesterday or what, but... <clears throat> I'm trying here, okay. Uh, Jim, would you pull up that, uh, that uh, map of end times map? Uh, this is not the word of God, okay? That This is just some artist trying to give an idea of what the end times, how it all might play out. Um, now, the survival map at the top, I'm so sorry. That's a little bit cheesy. I get it, all right? But... You know, there's a lot of really detailed maps out there, and I don't like most of them. But this one, I, I thought I could actually show it, and it actually made a little bit of sense. Um, this is how some people think it all might play out in the end. Okay, What you have in the green there is the church age. The church age. That's the age we're in. You see the cross? After the cross, I mean, that's us. That's us. And then a lot of Christians believe that there's going to be a rapture of the church. There's going to be a catching up of believers into the air with Jesus. And when that happens, when we leave, that's when the great seven-year tribulation starts that brings the end. And you see the seals. We talked about the seals uh, last week. There's trumpets. 
Uh, we haven't talked about the trumpets yet. And there's bulls. These are, th- these are the things that are the wrath of God on the earth. Seals, trumpets, bulls. And the bulls are the most intense of all of them as far as what comes out of those bulls. And then at the end, you have the glorious second coming of Christ. Jesus returns, we return with him, and he rules for a thousand years called the millennium. Now again, survival map, I'm sorry, I mean, I, I should have like edited that a little bit, but you know, a little bit cheesy, but, but actually the artistic representation of it, a lot of people say, is probably going to unfold something like this. Um, okay. Now, and you could leave, uh, yeah, you don't have to leave that up anymore, Jim, but um, three different views of the rapture. Not everybody thinks that we're going to get out right before the tribulation starts. But let me start with that view. Pre-tribulational rapture. What is that? Now, I want to simplify this so much that people that have never heard of this will get it. And people that uh, have, been, have been thinking this for years, they're going to be mad at me because I'm not getting very detailed on it. Okay, I'm just telling you up front, I'm not going deep on, on rapture views. I just want you to know what they are. Okay, Three main ones. Uh, the first is a pre-trib rapture. And, and that says that the church is going to be caught up into the air with Jesus before the Antichrist arises, before the seven-year tribulation happens. Jesus is going to take us out of here. Um, this comes from uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Again, I know I'm oversimplifying. I'm giving you one verse. I could do more than that, but um, for the sake of time, we're just doing one verse. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. We'll be with the Lord forever. We're going to be caught up with him in the air. And a lot of people say, this refers to the rapture of the church before everything gets bad on earth. Because a few short verses later, in chapter 5, it actually says, um, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath. And the tribulation's about his wrath. Okay? So they put that together and say, we're getting out of here before it gets bad. By the way, I don't know how many, how many of you read my blog at some point online? Some of you have. Okay. I blogged about this, and uh, you should go back and read it if you haven't. Um, I have a Revelation blog right now. And uh, I told the story, when I, when, I was a, when I was a youth intern, I was at a church, uh, my home church, and there's about 15 people on staff. We wanted to stage the rapture, okay? We wanted to stage it. So what we did was, during a staff meeting, we had the worship pastor get called out on a telephone call, and the rest of us who were in on this joke we brought extra clothes, okay? And so we put our clothes in the seats in the staff meeting, and then we all left the room. So our empty clothes are in the room, okay? But the worship pastor's on a phone call out of the room. So we all piled into the senior pastor's office, looking out the glass in his door. The worship pastor walks back in, and he sees empty clothes lying all over, as if we've been evaporated to be with Jesus, okay? And he walked into the room and he immediately ran out of the room like as fast as he could. And then we all ran out of the pastor's office and started yelling and laughing and saying he was scared. And, and he, you know, denied it. And he says, nope, I don't like jokes played on me. I knew it was a joke. But who knows what was really going on in his mind and the panic he was really feeling. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, that was a good day. And for Presbyterians, that's a really good day. I'm just, just telling you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. 
The Belgians can amen me on that, right? All right, all right, good, good. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so that's that. That's a pre-trib rapture. We're going, made very popular by the Left Behind series too, which is being, it's, it's been a movie. They're, I think they're making another movie of it with, with a more big name actor, maybe, you know. So, I mean, this is a very popular view today. Uh, second view is probably maybe the least popular, at least from the people I've talked with, is mid-tribulation. The idea behind mid-tribulation rapture is, is if the last half of the last seven years is going to be the worst, remember the bulls, the bulls of God's wrath, then, then God's going to want to take his church out of the tribulation before it gets really, really bad, before the bulls happen. And so they say, well, if you look at Revelation 11, <clears throat> verse 15, I'll read that for you. Revelation 11 Verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there, was a loud, there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of our world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And mid-trib people say, That's when we leave. Because there's a trumpet. Remember 1 Thessalonians? There's a trumpet. Remember there's a loud voice in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4? Well, I hear some loud voices here too. And if this is a reference to 1 Thessalonians, that's when we're getting out of here. Before it gets really, really bad and the bulls of wrath come. Okay? That's a mid-tribulation rapture. And it does fit with the whole thing of God's not trying to take his wrath out on us. He's taking us away before it gets really bad. Okay. Um, And then lastly is a post-tribulation rapture. Post-trib uh, people hold that we're going to go through all of the seven-year tribulation. If, if we make it through, I mean, the Antichrist will be there, and Christians will die. There will be martyrs. But basically, post-tribbers say that in the, in the end, Jesus is going to come back, his glorious second coming, and that's when we meet him in the air, and then we accompany him back down to earth to rule for a thousand years. So rapture and second coming are actually one event, not two. Okay? Now, one of their main passages is going to be Matthew 24. Um, I could read the whole thing because it's helpful to read the whole thing in context, but I'm only giving you one verse. You can look at it later. Um, but here's Matthew 24. Jesus has talked about, the, the, the disciples are saying, when's this all going to happen? When are you going to return? What's going to be the sign? What are the things that are going to happen? And Jesus answers them. And in it, Jesus never talks about the disciples getting out before it gets bad. He never says, you're going to get away when, when, before all these things happen. He talks as if they're going to be there. But then in verse 31, he says, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to another. So post-trib people say, aha, there's a trumpet call when Christ returns. That sounds like First Thessalonians 4. So we're going to meet him in the air, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and then join him back down on earth and rule with him. Okay? Now, which one is right? Uh, that's a hard question. I, I can tell you, and this is where the change thing comes in, um, I grew up pre-trib. Most of my life was spent believing pre-trib. Um, however, in the last few years, I've moved over, and, and I really feel more convicted that post-trib is more accurate. That's just where I am personally. Post-trib, I think we're going to be here. Um, 
if we're not here, I'll be pleasantly surprised and I won't blame Christ at all, you know? I mean, get me out of here. I, I don't, not, that, not that I want to be here for the rise of the Antichrist to see something. It, it's just I'm trying to understand this the best I can. These arguments are more detailed than I have given this morning. I've just simplified it, okay? You can study it in more depth. But I want to say you can hold any of those views or even a, a variation on them. There's a few variations there. And it's not a big deal in this church, okay? We're not saying you have to hold to one of these to attend here. Good Christians believe differently. Okay. Um, another thing I want to say before we move on here is, and look at the text, is uh, we all agree that Christ is coming back. He's coming back. And that's the thing that unites us. He's coming back. So if you're confused by this and you say, how am I going to figure this whole thing out? It's okay. Christ is coming back. Okay? So, uh, I want to move on. Would you turn to Revelation chapter 7? Here's where we're going this morning. Revelation chapter 7. The last words of chapter 6 were... uh, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand in the face of the wrath of the Lamb? In chapter 7, it's like, I'll tell you who can stand. Check it out. Revelation chapter 7 says this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God, he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been giving power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, 
Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe, every, wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7. <clears throat> what we have going on here is this group of 144,000 people. And they're sealed. What's going on here? Um, it talks about angels holding back four winds. It says, don't harm the land or the trees don't harm things until we've sealed the people of God. Apparently then, these seals are speaking about ownership. I mean, if, if you put a seal on something, you're saying, that's mine. And so God is saying, I want to make sure I designate who my people are before things get bad on the earth. These are my people. Other part about seals, and this comes out of Ezekiel chapter 9. I won't, I won't have you go there right now, but you could write the reference down this week if you want to look it up. But in Ezekiel 9, God seals his people before he strikes the land so that they're protected from his wrath. Ezekiel chapter 9. Seems like we're looking at the same kind of scenario here where God is about to take his wrath out on the earth, but he doesn't want to target his people. So he's going to seal them before he strikes the earth in order to protect them from his wrath. Now, the harder thing, I mean, the seal thing is, is fairly easy to figure out. The harder thing is, who's the 144,000 people here? There's probably two main views. There's probably more. But here's two that are probably the most prevalent in the church. The first one is, the 144,000 are Jewish people they're ethnic jews and i've given you the detailed arguments there i'll run through them just briefly okay if it says they're the 12 tribes it means they're the 12 tribes that's the simplest and clearest way to read this these are the 12 tribes of israel these are jewish christians in the end times that are following they're, they're following jesus they've returned to him as a people um, and then obviously also that these tribes are mentioned um, and then the next vision about the multitude is clearly talking about the church. Every different nation is there. Also, Romans 11, Paul talks about this, this large number of Jewish people that will return to Christ in the end. This certainly looks like a large number of Jewish people that are returning to Christ in the end. And then lastly, uh, God made promises to Israel in the Old Testament that he has yet to accomplish and he's going to accomplish it in these people here. Okay? And I gave you an example like Isaiah 9. Uh, Isaiah 9 says Jesus has to literally rule on the throne of David. He, he's going to rule over his nation Israel. So um, there's promises God made. That's the first view. Second view is that this is talking about the church. This is the church in view here. This is us. This is us. How, why would you say that... The 144,000 are the church when it goes to great lengths to say they're the tribes of Israel. How can you say that? Well, first of all, the church is the spiritual Israel. That's out of Romans, out of Galatians. Paul says, we are Abraham's children. Father Abraham and many sons. I am one of them and so are you. Did you sing that song? You know, I mean, that's us. That's true. We are Abraham's kids. Even though I'm not Jewish, I'm part of that whole thing. Okay, that, that's a biblical teaching. Uh, secondly, 
Um, 12 is a symbolic number for God's people. There's 12 tribes. There's 12 apostles. There's 12 gates at the end of the New Jerusalem in, in, in heaven. 12. It's God's people. We're God's people. 12. Um, and then the other thing is... Uh, and we're going to get to Revelation 14 in later weeks, but 144,000, if you're going to take this literally, then these are Jewish virgin men. That, that, that's who these 144,000 are, according to Revelation 14. Are you willing to say that God is only sealing Jewish virgin men? Or is that symbolic, like, like the virgin example of people that are pure in Christ? As symbolic as what that view would say, okay? Um, other thing is, this tribal list doesn't match any other tribe list in the Bible. This is unique. For instance, where's Dan? Tribe of Dan's gone missing. Uh, some people, have, some scholars have suggested uh, the early church thought the Antichrist was going to come from the tribe of Dan because Dan committed some idolatry, and so Dan's just gone, you know? Um, why is Judah first? Judah's not firstborn. Judah is the line of kings. Jesus is the king. He's the shepherd of the church. So put Judah first. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. Sounds kind of church to me. Um, and then uh, lastly, they would say, um, and this one is super interesting to me. Remember two weeks ago when I said that John's in heaven and he hears that, that the only person that can open the scroll is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? He hears that the lion is here. But when he looks to look at the lion, he sees a lamb. Remember that? I look to see the lion, and I'm seeing a lamb. And that's Jesus, okay? John hears about the 144,000, it says. He hears their number. When he looks, he sees them. And it's a great multitude from every different nation. Okay? Um, which view do I hold? I and mean, You can have either view and be completely fine. Personally, I hold the second. I think this is talking about us. And if you would hold to a post-trib rapture, and again, here's where we get a little bit complicated, you might say, if we're going to be here for the tribulation, God's setting his mark on us to protect us from the wrath that he is striking the earth with. He's sealed us. He's not, that's just where I stand. I think it's the church. I think it's the church. Now, um, I don't want to major on those things. I want to major on Christ. So I want, to, I, want to, I want to look at Jesus in this passage. When you look at Revelation 7, you see these, these visions of these different people, um, and the 144,000 and the great multitude, and however you want to connect them or not connect them, uh, look at the description of Jesus here. Um, verse 17. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He shepherds us. He cares for his people. That's who he is. What does that mean to us? Let me suggest three things that it means to us to have Jesus as our shepherd over his church, over his people. First, it means that he knows which sheep are in his flock. That's number one. He knows which sheep belong to him and which ones don't. Uh, if you, you know, John ten fourteen, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 
Nobody here is fooling Jesus. I mean, let's just make that clear. I mean, if, if you come to church and you're just playing the game of church attendance and, and, and just do, going through the motions, but you don't have a real relationship with Christ, he, he knows that. He, he knows there's wolves in the church. I mean, he, he can separate them pretty easily. We might have a hard time. Jesus doesn't have a hard time with that. He knows who belongs to him. He knows each person that said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he died on the cross to pay for my sin. He knows who believes that and who really doesn't. The other thing about this that strikes me as so profound is when, when Jesus is the shepherd, shepherds have one flock. I mean, the scripture tells us he has a flock. It's singular. It's singular. And when I read the New Testament, I, I see churches, plural, and they're always geographic. You know, it's a church in Ephesus, a church in Smyrna. And, and I think we live in a world with many denominations. And, and I'm not anti-denomination. I'm just saying some of us in a particular denomination happen to think that we've got it going on. And ours is so right. And I just think that breaks Christ's heart. He's got one flock. So, so if, Jesus, if we read about this and we're talking about, if the Bible is being written today and it said to the church in Three Lakes, would you think that's certainly Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, right? That's us, right? That's us. <laughs> to the church in America, that's the EFCA, right? Well, we're right. Or, or would you immediately think, oh, what he's really saying is Union Congregational, you know, the Lutheran Church across the street. We're, we're on the same page here that we believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus saves one flock. And we may have our differences and it may look differently the way we do things, but there's one flock. And I'm certain he doesn't love this flock more than he loves any other flock that he has because it's singular. He can't love a flock more. They're all his. Are some flocks more faithful? Well, yeah, just look at the seven churches of Revelation. Some are more faithful, okay? Laodicea has some problems. They're lukewarm. Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. There's some big problems there. Ephesus, you've forsaken your first love. There's problems. Some churches are more faithful. But Jesus loves them so much. Let's not get arrogant about that. There's one flock. Um... Secondly, if Jesus is the good shepherd, then if you look at verse 10, verse 10, um, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I was tempted to skip over this when I was first studying the passage. I'm like, you know, I spent a whole week talking about the praises of God's people. That was a couple weeks ago, Revelation 4 and 5. I thought, I'm just going to skip over this. But then something is striking about verse 10. These are the great multitude of people that have come out of the tribulation. Some of them have probably died because of the Antichrist. And, and, and they, they've been martyred, and here they are all together, and the first thing that they say is, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, if I get martyred, I kind of get the impression that I'm going to show up and go, oh, why did I have to go like that? You know, I mean, you're kind of like, man, that was rough. But these people, they step into heaven and, and the first thing on their mouth is 
salvation. I just died, and all I can, I can't stop thinking about salvation. How does, how does dying for your faith and salvation go together? You know? I mean, that doesn't make sense to the world. You die in this life, that, that, that's not a good thing. Jesus saves us in tribulation. Uh, that's point two. Um, whether or not you think we're going to be here for the tribulation, um, Acts 14.22 says, we all have to go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We all have to go through tribulation to enter the kingdom. All of us. And I know the American church doesn't reflect the suffering of, of the global church. There, I mean, there's people meeting on this day in other parts of the world telling me, um, you know, she, she was in Uganda attending uh, in the capital, uh, Kampala, and she was at the Watoto Church, and they have metal detectors, you know. Why? Well, because of bomb threats. You know, enter the church through a metal detector. That, that's so foreign to us. I mean, we're getting a little bit closer to that idea when we think about the tragedy of school shootings. But still, we don't, we don't approach that level of precaution in going to church. We just want to get our, our clothes on and get out the door. That's the only thing we got in our minds. <laughs> get the kids in without driving ourselves crazy. Um, and, and I read this and go, these people have just come out of the tribulation and they can say, Jesus saves us. He saves us. How is Jesus saving you during your trial right now? How is Jesus going to save you in the trials that you have to come in your life that we know nothing about, that you know nothing about, but it's coming? How is he going to save you? One answer, of course, is, well, he saved my soul, so the weight of the trial won't crush my soul. My soul's pretty strong in Christ. That's one answer. Another answer could be, Jesus gets me through the trial faithfully. He saves me. Because it's tempting to say, God, I'm so mad that you let this happen, that you would do this to me. But, but yet he saves you. He saves you from that. Um, salvation is a broad, broad word, and it applies to you and me right now. Right now. He saves us in our trials. And finally, finally, uh, part three here, um, Jesus guides his sheep to eternal, curse-free life. Look at 15 through 17. It says, uh, these, these, this great multitude is before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. That word is the word tabernacle. It looks at the Old Testament when God dwelled in the midst of his people there. Um, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe, ever, wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus is leading his people to eternal, he's guiding us to eternal, curse-free life. I use the word curse uh, it's a good Old Testament word, a New Testament word, but for those that don't know what that means, the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, they introduced sin into the world, and things got harder from there on in, okay? God said, women are going to have pain in childbirth because you chose sin. Men are going to work hard by the sweat of their brow. The sun's going to beat down on you because you chose sin. Life is hard. And uh, 
one day that's all going to be reversed. He's going to reverse the curse, and it's going to be no more tears. Now, um, maybe you just need to stand back in awe of your good shepherd this morning and say, Jesus, you led me gently to eternal life. When I was angry at you, when I was raising my fist at you, when I was rebelling against you, you used your shepherd's staff and you guided this stubborn sheep to yourself. And that is amazing to think that if Jesus didn't shepherd us to him, I would have never chosen him. I would have chosen something else. But he revealed that he's a good shepherd to me and that if I would just follow his voice, he would lead me all the way home. No matter how hard this life gets, he'd wipe away every tear from my eyes. I, I see people crying at times because I talk to people in the midst of sorrow, you know, at funerals and counseling things, and, and you see the tears because life is so hard. And I've, I've had the tears, and, and, and you've had tears. And to think that everything that caused those tears will be so far from you when you get to be with Jesus. He's going to wipe away every single one of those. The best sometimes that I can do is hand people a Kleenex box and a prayer. And I know that's good enough. But one day, the good shepherd will lean in with the Kleenex and and he'll wipe the tear away and there'll never be another one. I'd like to be able to do that. He's going to do that. And that is amazing. Um. The great day of the wrath of the Lamb will come. And who can stand? The people of God can stand. Because they have a good shepherd. And if he brought you this far, he will take you home. Worship team, will you come up? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to exalt you now as the good shepherd. We want to spend some time lifting our voices, telling you how good it is that you lead us. Sometimes, God, we're stubborn. We can be such stubborn sheep. And sometimes we need your rod to correct us, to smack us. And, 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 and I know that. Your discipline is real. But I am so thankful this morning that every time you've smacked me with your rod, it was never in wrath, that it was never in, in, in judgment, in condemnation. It was only in discipline as good fathers do. Shepherds, shepherds have to shepherd their sheep well. And so I pray that you'd shepherd this dear church, that we would be so pleasing to you, Jesus, that these sheep, including myself, would listen to your voice and go where you tell us to go, do what you want us to do, be the sheep you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.